0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 7, the Bible says this, "And He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. We need to be careful that as we are as we are looking at the at future events as we're learning about future events that we don't we don't listen to people that that begin to insert their opinion on things or their their view of things we need to be clear that we are looking at the word of God there are some that try to add things where God is silent we need to be silent if God doesn't give answers guess what they're not for us to have God has given us through his word what he desires for us to know. Be careful in our search for end times prophecy that we don't become involved in those that are trying to insert things or their opinion about things in end time prophecy. God doesn't intend for us, Uh, doesn't intend for these truths to lead us in unhealthy obsessions or unanswerable questions. Matter of fact, Peter, Peter addressed this in 2 Peter three eleven and 12, he, he, he addressed this on Bible prophecy. He said this, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for the in hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? He says this, that we need, to, we need to make sure that we are grounded, that we are, are, are looking forward to this day, that we are, our conversation is godliness. We need to be consumed and concerned with what the Bible says is going to happen here on this day. He says, nevertheless, in verse number 13, 14, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness? Wherefore, beloved, he's speaking to Christians. He says, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And our desire then as a Christian ought to be, as Peter says here, found in peace without spot and blemish. The information as we study God's word, it ought to cause us to live a life of righteousness. It ought to cause us to live a life pleasing to the Lord. So what we've gathered, what we've learned over these summer months as we've studied end time prophecy, it ought to provoke us or cause us to want to live for Christ. Christ. God gave us these truths to motivate us. Listen, the Bible in the word of God as we study about end time prophecy, it ought to be motivating to us. Not just coming and learning so that we have more information, but coming and learning so that we can do something with that information. It ought to motivate us to live with eternal values in mind. As we've studied the end time prophecy, we need to make sure that as we're studying it, that we are thinking about eternal values, that we're not living in this world for the things of this world. We're not living in this world for the lust of this world or for the pleasures of this world or for the materialism that this world has to offer. As we study end time prophecy, it ought to cause us to be eternally focused. It ought to cause us to think upon heavenly things and eternal things and keep our focus on the Lord, James five eight says this: Be also patient. Establish your hearts. And he gives us the reason why here. He says this: For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. James here is giving us the command here: Be so, be patient. Establish your hearts. Have you ever had anxiety or you have been anxious about something? You ever woken up in the middle of the night and, and you're anxious? You're not even sure why you're anxious? You ever cause maybe stresses of this world or the things of this world to cause you stress or anxiety? Maybe you're thinking about end time prophecy and it's causing you alarm and it's causing you to panic. Some people see the events of this world and the judgments that are coming and instead of it causing them to serve the Lord and serve the Lord with their heart and with their life and look on eternal things, what it does is it causes them to look inward focused and begin to be anxious and filled of stress and worry about what's going to happen. And James says this, "Be patient and establish your hearts." For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He said, the Lord's coming again, therefore be patient. The Lord's coming again, therefore it's a reason for us to be established in our heart. Do you ever know those that are just kind of all over the place with their emotions? They're everywhere. Good days, bad days, up, down, you don't know where they're gonna be. And James says, as, as as the day of the Lord comes, establish your hearts. All the things that we've studied here over these last several weeks through the summer months on end time prophecy, as we learn that information, we as Christians ought to be more established now in our hearts, at greater peace now than we've ever been before. Knowing that Jesus is coming again, therefore, we have a job to do and we have something that ought to motivate us. And I want to give you today a challenge, a challenge here this morning, a challenge to be steadfast. I'm going to look at, give you four challenges this morning as we look at a challenge to steadfast. In a world when values and norms are constantly shifting, we must remain steadfast in our faith. I don't know if you saw in the news this past week, crazy, crazy things happening in our world when it comes to what's right and what's wrong funny last week I learned this Dr. Seuss is bad and Hugh Hefner is a hero now tell me something's not wrong with that you either don't know who Dr. Seuss or Hugh Hefner is one or the other because all of you just kind of got quiet there I mean what used to be right and what used to be wrong now now wickedness is a hero Now now it seems like morals are out the window. It seems like biblical values are gone. Not that Dr. Seuss is moral or biblical values. I'm not saying that, but uh, Hugh Hefner surely isn't one of morals or biblical values. But it seems like, you know, as you're raising children in this world, it seems almost like what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. If you're raising your children on biblical principles, if you're following God's word, then there's something wrong with you. But if you're letting your children rule the house and you're letting your children do whatever they desire to do, then that's biblical or that's right parenting. And I want to say to you this, parents, that's not right parenting. The Bible is very clear. The Bible has principles. The Bible has principles on husbands and wives, how we're supposed to live. The Bible has principles and guidelines on how we're supposed to raise our children. The Bible has principles and guidelines on how we're supposed to live in this wicked world. The Bible does have a way, and we as Christians, we ought to stay steadfast, unmovable, steadfast in the word of God, steadfast in the things of God. We're going out this afternoon, and I hope you're going to be able to join us at 1.30 as we go out and pray and ask God to, to change this, this uh, uh, ruling from Roe versus Wade. In our country, some 57 million children have been aborted just in our country alone. I had a call from a pastor friend this uh, past week, Friday, and he called for advice. He said this, he said, I've got a, two families in my church. He said, "One is a 18-year-old boy. He just went off to Bible college. Just uh, just got there within the last month, and he's started just started his classes. and And uh, uh, his parents just came to see me with another family. He's 18 years old, and before he went off to Bible college, he met with a 14-year-old girl in the church, and they she's now pregnant. He says parents are devastated." not sure what to do and and, uh, not sure of the next step. And He said the girl's mom, the 14-year-old girl's mom, took her to the doctor and the doctor sat her down and told the parents and told the little girl that the best option would probably be an abortion. We're living in a wicked world. We're living in a world where it seems Like what is right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. And as we've studied the end time prophecy, church, I want to challenge us to be steadfast. Steadfast this morning. In a world when values and norms are constantly shifting, we must remain steadfast in our faith. Four areas that I want us to see to remain steadfast. Number one is steadfast to assemble steadfast to assemble in Hebrews 10 24 and 25 the Bible says this and let us consider one another to provoke unto love into good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching here in Hebrews chapter number t- uh, 10 verse 24 and 25 the author of Hebrews is challenging us he's saying as you see the day approaching what is that day that day of the Lord approaching as Jesus Christ his coming is soon sooner and sooner he says this i want to encourage you not to forsake the assembling of one another not to forsake coming together i want you to see this, another part of this verse so not just coming together coming together isn't going to satisfy what the author here is challenging us to do he says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is but he says this but exhorting one another Listen, as the day of the Lord comes, as we as Christians are living in a world that seems so chaotic, as we as Christians are living in a world where it seems like what we're trying to accomplish with our families, uh, living on the Word of God and, 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 and making choices based upon the Word of God, it seems like the world is attacking us. It seems like everything that we're trying to do is anti the Word of God. Uh, uh, the world is, is is pushing against us. and It seems like they're, they're wanting us to not live the Word of God. And listen to me, this morning we need to stay steadfast unmovable always abounding in the grace of god we're supposed to come together assembling ourselves together but not just for the sake of being together but the bible says here exhorting one another encouraging one another listen we need to come to the house of god to encourage one another Maybe your story isn't like the one that I just mentioned about this 18-year-old boy and this 14-year-old girl, but you know what I know? There are people here today that are hurting. There are people here today that are going through trials. There are people here today that are going through burdens. There's people here today the world is putting stress upon them. There's people here today that are are going through trials in their life that, that are difficult. And the Bible says here that we're supposed to come together as the world gets more difficult, as the day the Lord comes even closer we're supposed to come to this place encouraging one another it would be a wonderful thing when people came to the house of God that there were people there on purpose with one intent and that was exhort one another Brother Patterson could you imagine coming to church having a bad week and someone coming over to you and putting their arm around you and just praying with you Not looking for information to talk about, not looking for information to spread, but wanting to take and bow with you in the presence of God and ask God to encourage you. You know, the truth is, there's people in this church, there's people in churches all over, and God knew this. That's why He put it in His Word. They need our encouragement. You know, I do the same thing and I know many of us do the same thing. We're conditioned to do it as you come into the church, you, you just put your put your game face on, right? And somebody says, "How you doing?" I'm doing well. And and how are you doing good? And we go our separate ways and inside we're not doing well. We're not doing good. We've got difficulties and we've got problems and we've got hurt and we've got uh, uh, anxiety and we've got stress and we're carrying a major burden and we need someone to come alongside of us to encourage us and, and exhort us and, and cause us to be encouraged that day. Here we find this. There's a command to stay steadfast to assembling. Faithfulness to church. Is directly linked in Scripture to the return of Christ. Here we find in Hebrew, Hebrews staying faithful to the church, the local church, as the day of the Lord approaches. You know, I believe this that Satan is good at discouraging people. And sometimes we let him work. Sometimes we let him work in our lives and we let him get us discouraged and we let him get us down. He wants to get you sidetracked, he wants to get you discouraged. He wants to get you bitter. He wants to get you angry. He wants you to live there because when you live there, you begin to forsake what God's commanded us not to forsake. As the day of the Lord approaches, I believe Satan is gonna even be on a more of a terror than he's ever been before because his time is short. The Bible says that he still walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking to devour lives. He's looking to destroy lives. He's looking to ruin lives. He's looking to get you sidetracked Christian. We live in a day when many people see the church as non-essential. When many people see the church as irrelevant. Many people say, I've got better things to do. Many people, if there's something else that comes up, church always takes a second back row seat. Listen to me, parents, I want to encourage you. What you're doing to your parent, what you're doing to your children is horrible. If you're teaching your children that church is just when it's convenient, you're teaching your children an injustice and you're teaching your children exactly what the Bible tells us not to do. The Bible here says forsaking not, forsaking not the assembly of yourselves together. It ought to be a time where we come together, and when we come together, there's encouragement that's had. Matter of fact, Jude, Jude spoke of the, these who in the last days would, would separate themselves from the assembly. In Jude verses 18 and 21, the Bible says, How that they uh, told that you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. He said there's going to be some that are going to encourage you to walk away. There's some that are going to mock what's being taught. There's some that are going to walk away from church. They're going to walk away from this assembly. He says this, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. They'll blame God, but they don't have the Spirit of God. But ye, he says, but ye, beloved, he's speaking to the Christian there, but ye, beloved, build it up yourselves on your most holy faith. He says, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What Jude is saying, he's saying this you need to remain faithful. You need to remain serving. You need to remain loving the Lord. You need to remain looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ till he comes. Don't get sidetracked by things of this world. Don't get sidetracked with the lust of this world. Don't let Satan get in and get you sidetracked as we learn about. End time prophecy, what it ought to do is motivate us to do even greater things for the cause of Christ. The Bible says this, but exhorting one another. In Hebrews 10 25, you know, at church, we need to be encouraging one another to love and serve. Exhorting one another. Who'd you exhort today? Who did you encourage today? Listen, we live in a world that's so negative. We live in a world where everything you see, everything you read, everything you watch, everything you turn on, it's negative, it's negative, it's negative, negative. and we live in that world. And if we're not careful, church, we can live in that world and we can become that as well. We need to keep our eyes centered upon Jesus Christ, encouraging one another, The Bible says also in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know what that word provoke means? Incitement or irritation. How many of you that sounds like a positive thing? One of our daughters last yesterday, they are, for whatever reason, they're playing soccer, whatever reason, they like to run. And so she'll get out there and she'll say, can I run to the corner before we get in the car? Run down to the corner and run back. And she'll sprint down to the corner and sprint back. She loves to run. She, all day yesterday, is begging, can I go out and run? Can I go out and run? And we don't let her go out by herself and run by herself. And, and so she's begging all day. She's asking everyone, and everyone's saying the same thing. No, I'm not running. I'm not running. What's wrong with you? Can I take the dogs? And the dogs look at her. They they shake her head. No, we're not running. She goes near them. and they run to the table. We don't want anything to do with you running. All day long. Every time we turn around, she's asking, will someone go running with me? It was dark, it was probably 9.30 or so last night and I heard her asking again after several attempts and Michelle finally had enough. She said, okay, I'll run with you at 9.30 at night. I said, you're just as crazy as her. (laughs) Went out, she said, I'll run around the block one time. Well, you wanna see a happy girl. You would have thought Christmas was here. It's the thing. She kept at it. She was so irritating, she got her way. She got what she wanted. You know what the Bible says? Provoke. Provoke one another. Irritate one another. We are to incite other Christians to be faithful in the service to Christ. We're supposed to walk up to someone and provoke and encourage and incite. Serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. You know what, you need someone to come alongside of you and incite you and encourage you. You know, I've talked to people, they were down and they were discouraged and you come alongside of them and they say, I was so glad I really needed that today. Sometimes we think people don't want our encouragement or people aren't looking for encouragement. You're wrong, people are needing that encouragement. The closer we get to the Lord's return, the more we ought to be encouraging one another, provoking one another to Christian faithfulness. I want to see number two, not only were we steadfast to assemble steadfast in preaching shortly before paul's death he wrote the epistle of second timothy paul is in prison i enjoy reading first and second timothy but i really enjoy second timothy because of the condition paul is in paul knows that his time is short Paul knows that he's probably never going to be released and Paul knows he's probably never going to be able to go on another missionary journey. Paul's not going to go plant another church. Paul's not going to go and preach and see scores of people saved and come to Christ and probably never baptize another person. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. What Paul says is I'm going to invest my life into someone else. And Paul begins to pen an epistle he challenged Timothy to preach God's word. And he challenged Timothy to preach God's word, especially in light of the second coming of Christ. I want you to see in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 this morning, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He says, Timothy, I want you to keep in mind, Jesus is coming i'm charging you before god there's coming a day where he's going to judge the quick and the dead he's coming again his kingdom is coming timothy and what does he say as he's charging timothy as he's encouraging timothy to think about the lord's return to think about the lord's kingdom that's coming he says i want you to do this timothy i want you to preach the word be instant in season and out of season." Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What he said is, Timothy, as the day of the Lord comes closer, I'm not in a place anymore where I can do what I'm commanding you to do. I've given my life to the gospel ministry. I'm imprisoned in Rome now and I'm going to be killed here because I'm preaching the gospel. But he pens these words to Timothy and he says, Timothy, oh, Timothy, there's coming a day. The Lord is coming back. You need to stay focused. Listen to me. Ministry is difficult and ministry is tiring and you're going to fight the things of this world and the things of this world are not going to agree with you and you're going to fight against these things. You're going to fight other Christians at times that aren't on the same page. You're going to fight others that try to discourage you. You're going to fight others within the church that try to hinder the work of the Lord. But he says, Timothy, remain faithful. Preach the word of God. Preach, he says, be instant in season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. He says in verse number three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He said, Timothy, there's coming a day that people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say. We say, you know, this is truth and you're going to think that everyone wants to hear truth but he says, Timothy, there's coming a day when there's going to be some that you're preaching to they're not going to endure what you're preaching. He says, there's going to be some that after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. What he's saying is this, there's going to be some that's in it for themselves. They just want what they want. They're not concerned. They're not concerned with what the Bible says. They're not concerned with souls being saved. They're not concerned with things of God. They're in it for themselves. What you hear is what they want. He says, but Timothy, when that comes... When that comes, Timothy says, I want to encourage you to stay faithful, to preach the word, be in season, out of season, be reprove, rebuke. Listen to me, the church ought to be a place that even though society is getting worse and worse, even though it seems like what we're preaching is so anti what the world is living, he was saying to Timothy, continue to do right no matter what. Listen to me, church ought to be a place that when someone is lost and they come to the house of God, yes, they ought to be welcomed when they come in. Yes, they ought to enjoy coming into a church, but when the preaching of God's word begins, when they start to hear that they're a sinner, when they start to hear that they cannot save themselves, when they start to hear that them living in their sin will send them to a a, a devil's hell for all of eternity, when they start to hear that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, they're gonna come to a place where they must make a decision. Oh, listen to me, a lost person, they should come for the first time and feel comfortable in church. But if they choose to stay, it shouldn't feel comfortable being lost continually. Oh, listen to me, the same thing is true with a Christian that's continuing in sin. Church ought to be a place when a person is continuing in sin, that conviction comes. A person should not continue in sin and still enjoy coming and and, and and hearing the preaching of the word of God if they choose to live in sin. Why? Because conviction ought to come. Oh, listen to me, there's going to be some, the Bible says some, what they'll do is when conviction comes, they'll just remove themselves from that. They don't, want to get, they don't want to hear anymore that a man ought to be faithful to his wife. They don't want to hear anymore that a, that a person ought to, to wait till they're married, married before they come together physically. They don't want to hear anymore that they ought to tithe. They don't want to hear anymore they ought to serve the Lord. They don't want to hear anymore they ought to live a sanctified life. They don't want to hear those things anymore. So what they'll do is they'll remove themselves from that preaching. And Paul said to Timothy, Stay steadfast keep preaching the word oh listen me church i pray till the day the lord returns that our church stays true to the word of god i pray that from this pulpit the word of god is always preached and is going to reprove it's going to rebuke it's going to exhort it's going to encourage but I pray it never becomes a place where as he describes in verse number three that teachers having itchy ears and, and those that just hear good things. Listen to me, God is a God of love. And we've, we've heard that We've seen it all through this summer as we have studied end time prophecy. You know what we've seen? That God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is wanting and desiring for every human being to come to Him. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wants you. He wants your neighbor. He wants your coworker. He wants your family member. He wants all mankind to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's His desire. He loved mankind so much that he gave his only begotten Son. Man sinned. And God said, I don't want to leave you in that situation. I don't want to leave you in that condition. I'm going to give you the most important thing that me. I'm going to give you my son, my perfect son, my righteous son, my holy son. He sent Jesus Christ to this world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. In his blood was sufficient payment for yours and my sin. That is the love of God. But you know what we've learned this week or this season as well, the summer? Judgment there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Those that reject Christ that are living here upon this earth during a time of tribulation, they're going to endure the wrath of God. Those that stand before God one day at the great white throne judgment, their sins are going to be judged. They're going to be judged by their works and they're going to be cast, the Bible says, into the lake of fire. And that ought to motivate us, church. That ought to motivate us to to stay, stay steadfast to sound preaching. Church ought to be a place for those that are lost. Come and hear how to be saved. It ought to be a place for those that are saved. Come and learn how to live a sanctified life. Occasionally, someone will say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes today. My reply to that is, I, don't, I wasn't aiming for your toes. I was aiming for your heart. I was at lunch a little while back, and I was sitting at a table with, with someone, and, and uh, they kept stepping on my toes. And uh, I'd move my toes, and they'd step on my toes again. No matter where I moved my toes, they'd step on my toes. Until I moved all the way back, I just moved away from the table. I was sitting over here, and they said, oh, was that your toes I was stepping on? And it wasn't my wife. If it was my wife, I'd have moved closer, you know? And, but it was a guy. I don't want to play footsies with a guy, you know? So I moved away. You know, when someone steps on your toes, you know what the natural reaction is? Move away. Listen, preaching shouldn't step on your toes. Preaching should capture your heart. It should help us. Listen, we need to pray, God, help us not to have a cold heart. God, help us not to have a heart of stone. If the preacher preaches on my sin, convict me. Help me not to resist it. Help me not to, to push it away, but help me to get it right with you. We need to be faithful, steadfast to preaching. Thirdly, I want us to see steadfast to witnessing, steadfast to witnessing. There's nothing the knowledge of Christ's return should compel us to do more than tell others about salvation. I was sitting at lunch with a fellow this week, not the footsies guy, another guy. And he had a little Bible, a little Gideon New Testament, and girl by the name of Brooke came over and waited on us. He took out that Bible and he said, he took the, begin, the opening of that Bible and he said, he uh, said, now Brooke, in this Bible, there's Bible verses and if you'll go through this, through, through this if, you're, if you're dealing with something, you could find a Bible verse that'll help you through that. And she looked down and she said, your thumb is on the word worry. And she began to cry. Her whole demeanor changed. She says, you have no way of knowing this. She says, but I'm worrying right now. And she began to tell us a story that's going on in her life, and she began to tell us about her worry. And she says, I can't believe that God would send you here today, and I know he did because exactly what I needed you gave me. He said, well, we might have more for you. If you were to die today, you, are you sure, 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And her answer was yes. And the reply was, for what reason? And she began to tell every other reason other than the fact that she trusted Jesus Christ. He took that little New Testament, went to the back of the New Testament, and said, you know, here in this New Testament, it tells you how to be saved. And in a restaurant in the middle of lunch, for several minutes, she stood there. When she was all finished, she bowed her head in the middle of that restaurant and she trusted Christ as her Savior. With tears rolling down her face, she says, I, you don't know how much I needed this today. You know, in a world we live in, it's so easy to pass people by. It's so easy to think that I'm there for a different purpose, there for a different reason. But God puts you in people's paths because he wants you to share the gospel. He didn't put you at your job just necessarily to earn money. He put you there because there's people there that need to hear the gospel. He didn't put you in your neighborhood so that you could live in the house you live in and not know your neighbors. He put you there so that you will tell your neighbors all around you who Jesus Christ is. He didn't put you in your family so that you could keep the gospel from, from, uh, from them hearing the gospel. He put you in your family for a reason. He saved you for a reason, and he desires for you to tell every single person you know. I believe this, that God had us eat, eat in that restaurant that, that, that uh, Friday afternoon so that Brooke could be saved. Listen, we need to be steadfast to witness. We need to be steadfast to assemble. We need to be steadfast to preaching, and we need to be steadfast to witnessing. There is nothing, I repeat, there is nothing the knowledge of Christ's return should compel us to do more than telling others of salvation through Jesus Christ. Mark 16, 15, the last thing the Lord told his disciples before he was uh, ascended into heaven. He said, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was the last command. Listen, that was not a suggestion. That was a command. And that command was not just for full-time preachers. That uh, command was not just for evangelists. That command is for you and that command is for me. It's for every single Christian. We are commanded by God to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell somebody about Jesus Christ. As Jude suggests, when the reality of Christ's return grips our heart, we are going to give ourselves every possible way to communicate the message of the gospel. Jude said this keeping your, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Listen, when someone when someone learns that Jesus Christ is coming again, all the information that we've learned this past summer, all the things we've learned about end-time prophecy, what is it supposed to cause us to do? I would submit to you today, it's going to cause us, it's going to grip our heart, or it ought to grip us, our heart, and when it grips our heart, it ought to cause us to have compassion making a difference in the life of someone else. I'm going to ask you today, what compassion are you showing today to make a difference in the life of someone else? Satan would have us as Christians to be so inward focused, so full of turmoil, so full of stress, so full of anxiety, so full of ourselves. That's all we're consumed with. But listen to me, Jude says this, those, those of us that are, are uh, uh, looking forward to, the, to the, the return of Christ, it ought to cause us to have compassion making a difference in someone else's life. What difference are you making in someone's life? What compassion are you showing? Listen, I would submit to you this this morning, no greater compassion you could show someone than sharing the gospel with someone that's lost. Oh listen, you could feed someone that's hungry, but you know the next day they're still going to be hungry. And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to spend eternity apart from Jesus for all of eternity in the devil's hell. If they're thirsty and we give them water, tomorrow they're still going to be thirsty. But if we give them Jesus, they'll thirst no more. Listen, to me. We can do good works and we can good, do good deeds, but those things aren't making the difference here that Jude is looking for. Jude is saying this when we're compelled, when our hearts, when our hearts are stirred, when we're gripped in our hearts about the coming of Jesus. What that should do is motivate us to have compassion, making a difference in someone else's life. The best way to make a difference in the life of someone is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you making a difference today? Paul wrote about the abundant joy that he experienced knowing he he led others to Christ. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul said this, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He's asking this question, what is our hope, what is our joy, what is our crown of rejoicing? What causes joy in our heart? What causes hope? What are we looking forward to? He asked this question. He says, This, are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You know what Paul is saying? Sharing the gospel with you, knowing that one day you are going to be with me in the presence of Christ, that's our joy. That is what I look forward to. Paul says, leading someone to Christ, seeing someone saved, knowing that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, that's our joy. Friday, this weekend, this week's been a difficult week. This week is a week that my father, he passed away. And boy, just every day I think about that. And boy, it just, if you lost someone you love, it hurts. Boy, I've been discouraged and kind of getting down. Next week, next week, my anniversary of my brother-in-law's death. And so it's just kind of, we go from one, one week to another in our, in our home. And boy, it's discouraging. And if I'm not careful, I can just dwell on those things and kind of get depressed. But when we were eating lunch Friday and Brooke bowed her head and she asked Christ to save her. What a wonderful thing, one day we're going to see her again. Whether we never see her here on this side of eternity again, the joy, the peace, the, 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 the thrill of knowing that one day she is going to be in the presence of Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is. Paul says this, for what is our hope? Our hope, our hope and our glory, our joy, is you being saved, is you one day bowing at the feet of Jesus, knowing that one day you're going to be in the presence of Christ, Paul said, that's my joy. How could Paul get beaten? How could Paul get get stoned? How could Paul get thrown in prison? How could Paul endure all the things he's endured, broken bones and, 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 and just the torture that he's endured? How could Paul endure the persecution? How could Paul live a life where every day he's being abused and being persecuted for the gospel's sake? How could Paul continue to do such a thing? Paul continued to do it because he said, my joy is not in the things of this earth my joy is not material possessions my joy isn't how much I could gain here my joy is spending eternity with you amen and our joy ought to be our great joy is leading someone to Jesus Christ knowing that that person is changed for all of eternity Paul says that's my joy faithful supporting missions Witnessing to our neighbors and friends. And lastly, I want you to see this morning. Steadfast to remember. We're steadfast to remember the night before Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. He met with his disciples. He met with them in the upper room and he instituted the Lord's table. The purpose of that Lord's table is for us to remember. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.24. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He said this in verse number 25. In the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, my blood, this do ye, and often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I want you to remember, Jesus is knowing the next day he's going to be crucified. He's sitting in that upper room with his disciples knowing that one is going to betray him. He's sitting in that upper room with those disciples knowing that they're going to forsake him. He's sitting in that upper room and he's knowing that in just a few hours they're going to come into the garden. They're going to take him. They're going to beat him. He knows in just a few hours his beard is going to be plucked. He knows in a few hours they're going to take their fist and they're going to pummel the face of Jesus he knows in just a few hours they're going to tie him to a stake and they're going to take a cat of nine tails and they're going to beat his back. The psalmist said that he was beaten so badly that he wasn't even recognized as a man. And Jesus knows in just a few hours that's what he's going to endure. They knew that he's, they, He knew they were going to put a, cra, a, a cross on his back and he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross of Calvary. He knew they were going to take a crown of thorns and they were going to shove that crown of thorns down on his head until those those thorns pierce his skull. Pain and agony. He knew in just a few hours they were going to take the nails and they were going to pierce his hands and pierce his feet. He knew they were going to hang him on the cross. He knew this and in just several hours... Every single sin that you and I have ever committed, he was going to have to become. The iniquity was laid upon him. A man that knew no sin. A man that knew no sin was going to become sin for you and for me. He knew this that in several hours he'd never been separated from God. He was 100% God, he was 100% man, he was with God since the beginning, whatever that was, before time. He always has been, always will be. But he knew that for that period of time that God was going to turn his back. He was going to be separated. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so this meal that he's sitting at, Jesus knows in just a few hours what's going to happen. He says, I want you to take this cup and I want you to do it in remembrance of me. I want you to take this bread and I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Each time a church family partakes of the Lord's table, they realize the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus gave his body to be broken. Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. And he wants us to remember this great love. But the Lord's table is also a reminder of his soon return. Jesus said this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I want you to remember. Listen, some here today, we need to put Christ first in our life. We need to remember him. Maybe you're anxious today. Maybe you're filled with stress today. Remember this. Jesus Christ is coming again. All the information that we've studied over this last summer, it's not cause cause for us to be anxious and full of fear it ought to cause us to look to Him for comfort and relief. Remember what He's done. Listen, Christian, if you're involved in sin today, confess it and turn from it. Be steadfast to remember. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Remember what He did on the cross. Remember what He went through so you can be reconciled back to God. Why continue in our sin knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us? Remember, the Lord's table is meant to be a frequent motivation to godly living in an ungodly world. Let me say it again in closing. The Lord's table is meant to be a frequent motivation to godly living in an ungodly world. We've studied all summer long we ought to remain steadfast to assembling. Don't give up on the local church. We ought to remain steadfast to preaching. We ought to remain steadfast to witnessing. And we ought to remain steadfast to remembering what Jesus Christ has done. You know what I remind myself often? No one has ever hurt me More than I've hurt Jesus Christ. No one has ever hurt me more than I've hurt Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I get so discouraged. You ever get discouraged? Just give up, quit. It's not worth it. People get mad at the most ridiculous things. Someone said one time, if it wasn't for people, ministry would be great. (laughs) But you know what we must remain? Faithful. Are you steadfast today? Steadfast, unmovable.